Let's go into Mark chapter 8 and verse number 34. And let's just let's go ahead tonight and let's read um, down to the end of the chapter to start ourselves off, okay? Mark chapter 8 and verse number 34. And when he, Jesus, had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this last portion of Scripture that we're going to get to look at together as a body of believers. Lord, I pray, um, would you please, Holy Spirit, would you please be here? We need you, for you are the convictor and the comforter. We pray that you would let there be great conviction tonight. Stir hearts in the ways and change hearts in the ways that need to be changed. I can't alter a heart, uh, but you sure can. You know right how to bring us to the brink uh, where we will decide to obey you. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill me, say everything that needs to be said, keep me from anything that should not be said, and uh, we just ask for your presence. Would you dispel the lies of the evil one, our enemy? Would you protect this house from, uh, from his attack and from his lies tonight? Would you keep us from distractions and just let us um, uh, just revel in the scriptures that we will look at tonight? Change us here tonight, oh God, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was a um, little, I don't know, maybe third or fourth grade, uh, maybe, maybe as young as second grade, but somewhere around second, third or fourth grade, I heard uh, that there were some kids, uh, ones that, because uh, I was going to a Christian school, they didn't go to the Christian school uh, where I was at, but there were some kids, who, uh, a couple boys that had a club. How many of you were ever a part of a, we're not talking 4-H, Boy Scouts, Guy, you know, especially more you boy, you boys. How many of you were a part of a club? Like you made your own club, maybe even something like that. Girls did too. All right, I didn't know. I, okay, I didn't know girls did that. I guess I guess they, they can do that too. Um, that's allowed. Um, but uh, so there were. I'm telling you what, though, these were these were not just any boys. These were older guys, big guys, sixth grade. Man, they had life together, you know, sixth grade. And, um, but they, uh, we found out, a friend of mine told me that they had a club. And uh, to, uh, to join this club, you know, there was uh, initiation. And uh, thankfully, though, they gave you options because this club apparently was a very important club. There were only two people in it, these sixth graders. And, um, but if you wanted to join, there was a couple of options of, what you, uh, of how you could join. First uh, uh, routine, uh, route of initiation, if you so choose, was uh, if you wanted to be, uh, become a part of this club, is you would take a knife and you could carve a smiley face into your arm. Or if you didn't like that, they had other options, so relax. Option number two was to take your hand and stick it into a fire for, and hold it there for at least five seconds. Now, that's the next option. Third option was... now. Uh, the third option was to jump off of a platform that was, now it was, 
for some reason, I feel like uh, the number that sticks in my head was 30 feet. But then at the, uh, at the wilds, I jumped off their 30-foot um, uh, diving platform, and it took forever to get down to the water. I don't think it was probably, th maybe not 30 feet tall. Maybe it was more like 10 feet. But it was like, a, a, you know, something kind of hot. You had to jump off of it. So, you, you know, you had three options. Why not? If you wanted to be a part of this club, you know, woohoo, with the sixth graders, you know. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I, that's all I heard about it. Obviously, uh, you know, me and my friend, we didn't join. And, um, uh, but, uh, you know, what a, um, what a big price to pay for something that really wasn't very valuable. What a big price to pay to be a part of something that really had absolutely no value and may have even, we could say, had a negative value. You know, you know the thing is, um, boys who have clubs sometimes will grow up and they still have clubs when they get older. It's just there's a different word for them and uh, they're not so good either and we call them gangs. I remember watching a little bit of an interview of a guy who was involved in a gang and had gotten out of it and was doing some kind of a, uh, an interview with someone and he talked about his time in the gang and he said, you know, it really, a lot of times they draw people in who are in their last years of high school uh, because, you know, these juniors and seniors, they'll see uh, friends of theirs who are all, maybe a year old than them they are maybe about the same age they'll see them one day all of a sudden come into school and they have brand new shoes on like $200 shoes and they knew that uh, these you know th that kid he can't afford $200 shoes but he knew this he was a part of a gang and so they'd see something like that and think man I'd like to have $200 uh, shoes man why can't why can't I be a part of that and he said that was one of the easiest ways that they would draw you in to becoming a part of a gang he said that the gangs would promise they promise money. They promise. Uh, they promise cars. They promise girls. They promise drugs. They promise family. Some of the some guys don't feel like they have a family, and the gang promise you'll be our family. Some guys that really appealed to them. And he said one thing though: once you joined a gang, he said life changed forever. He said you couldn't just go anywhere you wanted. He said you know because if you went especially if you went on the wrong turf and uh, you saw a rival gang or if there was a rival gang on your turf, he said there, was no, there wasn't an option. No matter where you were, if you saw a rival gang on your turf, you had to fight. You just had to fight them right then, right there. And he said, you're always running. You're running from uh, other gangs. You're running from the police. You're running from maybe, maybe, uh, maybe uh, there's members in your gang that don't like you. He said, you're always running, always looking over your shoulder. And he said, and when he gets to the end of it, you realize this. Was that really worth it? To be a part of something that just had no value. You know, people will pay some very high prices to be a part of something that's not very valuable. Whether that be a kid's club where you have to draw a smiley face in your arm with a knife, or whether that's become a part of a gang where you have to do uh, even criminal activities. And so, there, you know, I'm amazed. People are willing to pay high prices for stuff that's not very valuable. And um, do you know something is that um, Jesus in this passage is going to call us to something. We're going to dig into it here in just a moment. He is calling us to discipleship. Those who will come after me, people who will not just be mere believers, but would like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know, if you want to be, could we say this? If you want to be used by God, 
He's got some high demands and some high prices. But the, the, uh, the only thing that makes him different, uh, really, if you could say, or maybe not the only thing, but a big thing that makes being a disciple of Jesus Christ, being used by God different, it, I, I know he has high demands and high prices, but it's worth being a part of. It is so worth being a part of. Because, you know, as I look out here, I don't know all of you, but I know this. There are many of you in this room, and you want God to use you. You don't always know how. You don't always know where. But you want God to use you. I'm telling you this. I'm talking to you tonight. Some of you could really care less. All you'd really rather care about is just yourself and taking care of you. Uh, I'm sorry, but tonight may not really be for you. But for you who want to please God and you want to be used by God. Listen carefully because God, though God, if you want to be used by God, he has some high demands, but with it come high rewards. In verse number 34, it says, he had called the people unto him with his disciples also unto them, and he said unto them, whosoever will come after me. So Jesus pulled in a crowd and said, I want people who will come after me. In other words, people who will follow hard after me and will sacrifice. Because, you know, he looks at the crowd he has a crowd of people around him and you know what he does instead of trying to keep a crowd jesus trims the crowd down that's what jesus would rather trim the crowd to people who are truly dedicated and will do anything for god rather than have a big crowd of people who aren't really willing to sacrifice folks can i tell you something about discipleship and following after jesus is that there is more to it than just um uh, just believing in jesus is that uh, god wants you to follow hard after him and that requires sacrifice some of us know very little of giving up stuff for God. Because we're Americans. And we, and we have just been, this mentality has been ingrained in us that basically this, you, know, you take care of number one. And whatever fits in, fits in. And how sad it is that we have applied that so often to our relationships with Jesus Christ. But God says, if you want to be used by me, it will cost you. It's going to cost you and you won't like it every time. It's going to. You know, uh, Jesus doesn't make, it, uh, doesn't make it super soft. He's not trying to make it overly easy for everyone to join. Because you know something, not every soldier is cut out to be a ranger. Not every sailor is cut out to be a sail. And it takes a specific, but it takes men who are willing to sacrifice everything to make something to, to be more than just the next sailor to to become so, a seal uh, to become something like that takes sacrifice. So here it is. I want us tonight. We're going to look at Christ's terms of discipleship. And if you really want to serve God, I want you to see Christ's terms. If you're going to be a disciple of his that is used by God to do things for God, because some of you really do care. You want God to use you. What does he say needs to happen? Well, first of all, if you want God to use you, first of all, you need to read the conditions, read the conditions. Um, you know, uh, doesn't like everything, especially if you're on the internet, if you're buying anything, if you're signing up for anything, you know that little box down at the bottom that says, I agree to the terms and conditions. And the, and the phrase terms and conditions is highlighted in blue. And if you want to click on it, you can get this scrolling page of 
I don't even know what. And how many of us, we have clicked so many of those in our lives. I remember the first time uh, that I bought, with my own money, I bought a video game. It was that football video game, and I was so excited about it, and I was so excited. I read through that entire manual. I was so pumped about it because I love football, and it was my first video game that I bought. I read through that whole manual so I knew how to play it before I even got to, got to the computer. And, I had, um, and uh, when I loaded it onto my computer, it brought up the terms and conditions. And I'm telling you what, I was taking it seriously at 12 years old. I was scrolling through the terms and conditions, and I'm trying to understand this, and I thought, I, got, I really got about halfway through, and I thought, well, I'm not really getting this, but I hope it's okay, and I hit accept, and, you know, finish installation of the game, and, you know, now, you know, it's okay, I don't know what, I've signed my life away now, all of us have probably, <laughs> I don't know, we've hit so many of those buttons, we don't even read the conditions, or the terms and conditions really much anymore, and God has, thankfully, he doesn't have a scrolling list of terms and conditions, if you want to be used by God, he has some short, simple ones, but he says, you better read them, and pick if you're going to follow Jesus. He says, what are they? Well, first of all, he says, he, whosoever will come after me, be used by God, he says, first of all, here's condition one, let him deny himself. So he says, you want to be used by God, first condition, you need to deny yourself. Now, someone uh, might say, well, I, I can't deny me, I can't deny who I am. Folks, you're not thinking about it right, okay? Um, to deny yourself doesn't mean, to, um, doesn't mean self-rejection or um, uh, doesn't mean, uh, you know, like uh, sticking yourself away like a monk would in a monastery. The word, this is really simple. The word deny in the Greek, the Greek word translated into English as deny, it's a simple verb that means to say no. So if you want to be used by God, you know what God says, first thing you're going to have to figure out and accept? You've got to learn to say no to stuff. You ever at any point in your life been on a diet? Did you not have to learn to say no to some very wonderful things? <laughs> Sorry, I'm making you think about those right now. You know, because we, and if you're gonna, if you're gonna success, succeed at a diet, you've gotta learn to say no. If you're gonna have a budget, when you go out into life and, you sh and you're shopping, you've got to learn to say no. We do that all, we learn to do that with other things, but God says, if you want to be used by me, you're going to have to learn to say no to what you want. In other words, there has to be a fundamental reorientation where your, your uh, knee-jerk reaction is, when given a choice, you automatically say no to what you want. It's a totally different way of thinking. It's a totally different way of thinking, not what do I want, what would God want? What would God want? What, would the, what does he say he wants in the scriptures? And so God says, we've got to learn to say no to our own desires. We've got to learn to say no. It could be something, if we want to talk practical, something as simple as learning to say no to upgrading from your iPhone 10 which is functioning just fine, and spending five, you know, uh, however much you need to upgrade to the iPhone 11 Pro when you realize your iPhone 10 is doing just fine. Uh, when we, when you, learning to say no to the upgrade because the one phone's fine so that you can still have the money you need to put the tithe in the offering. Some of you are going to have to learn to say, but some of you, that isn't, uh, with that kind of thing, that's not even a thought process. If you want it, you buy it. As opposed to saying, well, now hang on, what might God want? 
Uh, there's a, a fundamental reorientation to, to learn to say no. Uh, to um, you know, sometimes the way we treat people, with the way we look at people, um, you know, oftentimes we see people as annoyances, as political opponents. And God says, you know how I want you to, you know, and you know, you, we want so quickly to just lash out and say what comes to our mind. And God says, you know what, I want you to learn to say no to just you know, whatever comes to mind, letting it out, because he says there's a greater cause going on, the cause of the gospel to go forth. We've got to learn to say no to some of our desires. We've got to learn to say no uh, to uh, our fears of, of what people will think of us if we're going to witness. And God says if it's going to start anywhere, you've just got to learn that if, I, that if uh, that to learn to say no to what you want when it comes to doing God's will. Then here's the next condition. He says, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. And then he says, and take up his cross. Now what does Jesus mean when he says, let him take up his you, uh, you know, he says, Christian, you need to take up your cross. Because I'll tell you this, it doesn't help very much uh, when, people, when a preacher says, you need to take up your cross. Because I'm thinking, ow, what does that even mean? Let me give you a couple things it's not. One thing, when Jesus says, you need to bear your cross, you need to take up your cross. One thing it's not, it's not um, physically punishing yourself. Um, this, this coming Easter, uh, check out what goes on in the Philippines. There are people who literally walk the streets of the Philippines. They take, uh, on Easter, they take whips and whip themselves with whips. They will carry crosses. There are some people who will allow themselves to be nailed to crosses. I know of one man in the Philippines. He is uh, over, I think it's over 15 or 20 years that he has been nailed to a cross every single Easter. And you know why he does that? Because he's doing it. He is physically hurting and harming himself to show God how much he wants to serve him and love him. Folks, when Jesus says, take up your cross, he's not saying to inflict yourself with physical pain. But you know what also it is here? When Jesus says, take up your cross, bear your cross, can I tell you something else that it's not referring to? It's not referring to having a physical ailment or disease. A lot of times people, you ever, maybe you've thought this way. I've thought this way. You ever thought this way? You know, maybe, you know, I told you last night, like, I have a bad back. So a lot of you have some kind of physical ailment. And it's very common for us to say about the physical ailment, oh, this is my cross to bear. Have you ever heard someone say that before? You ever heard that? Maybe you've said it. And you know something is, you say, well, Brother Matt, how do you know that's not it? Because Jesus says that taking up your cross is an option of whether you're going to do it or not. You know, getting a disease and a bad back, I didn't opt into that. And you didn't either. No one said, oh, please, sign me up for that cancer. No one does that. I'm not being crude. I'm not being rude. No one does that. And so when Jesus says you need to take up your cross, he's not just saying, oh, you know, uh, you'll inflict yourself or just uh, bear through your disease. What is he saying there? All right, so when someone was uh, going to be crucified, okay, we got a cross. Someone was being crucified. As you probably know, it was a common practice for the criminal to have to carry his own cross to the hill where he was going to be crucified. It's almost like saying, uh, it's almost like saying, here, I want you to carry the bullets to the firing range and hand them to each of the men at the firing squad. How embarrassing. <laughs> you know, how, how shameful, because one thing that when that man would be going to the cross, or would be going to that hill to be crucified, and as he carried his own cross, people could look at him and know this. They knew he once was an enemy of the state. He once was a rebel, but now he submitted to the government. Look how he is 
bearing down underneath that cross. When someone was carrying a cross out of the city, you knew this, that he was finally in submission and obedience to that authority of that government. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, you know what he's saying is? You need to accept submission to God's authority that he gets to decide how your life gets run, not you. How often do you, and I, I am trying to, I'm trying to say this differently now, because I did this for a long time. You ever said to, especially to young people, what do you want to do with your life? Shame on me for asking so many, I preach to so many teenagers, shame on me for asking that for so long. Who cares what I want to do with my life, what you want to do with your life? What matters is, what does God want to do with your life? From the start to the finish, from your, uh, from, from, uh, as a child to college to career to retirement, it is not what you want. You want to be used by God? Then get out of your mentality, what do I want to do? And start asking, what does God want? That's a complete rearrangement of a brain process that God says, you want to be used by me? You want to be more than just a, a believer, one of the crowd Christians? You want to be a disciple? He says, you've got to be willing to bear your cross, to submit to me in anything, and let me decide what goes on in your life. But here's also another condition. He says then, take it, deny himself, take up his cross, he says, and follow me. In other words, he's saying, you have got, Jesus says, you have got to make me, number one, over everything. Everything. You know what's really interesting is there's a sister passage to Mark chapter 8. It's in Luke chapter 14. And there is a verse that Luke includes that Mark does not listen to Jesus' words. This is Jesus speaking, Luke 14. He says, if any man come to me, talk about following after me, and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers, brethren, and his sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you know, immediately we ask, oh my goodness, you know, Jesus isn't asking us to literally hate people, is he? Well, no, he's not, because that would be violation of the law. Jesus did not violate the law. He fulfilled the law. So he's not calling on us to hate our, our mothers and our fathers and our spouses and our, and our brothers and our sisters and our children. We're, he's not asking us to literally hate them. What is he saying for us to do then? The idea there is that he's saying, uh, let me put it to you this way, is um, he, what he's saying there is that he wants, is that uh, if he wants you, here we go, to love Jesus so much that it could actually be possible that especially someone unsaved could think you don't love your family. Which is not true. But what Jesus is saying is, guess what? You want to be used by me? Guess who's number one? Me, not your family. You know, let me be real careful with this, but I think the church needs to hear it today. Do you know there's a worldly philosophy? It's not, I don't think it's biblical. But um, uh, a worldly philosophy out there that says this. Family's everything. Can I tell you something, Christian? Family's not everything. God is everything. By the way, if you make family everything and put God second, you're going to have trouble with your family that you tried so, so hard to focus on and, make, uh, and do everything for. But if you don't put God first, family's going to fall apart. But so many of us have, because we bought into the worldly idea that family is everything, that we took God and put Him second, so that if it seems to, uh, if, it, if something seems to fit and really help our family, even if it doesn't 
I don't know, it doesn't seem to please God. We pick that over God. And God says, you want to be my disciple? You want to be used by me? You've got to follow me and make me number one in everything. You don't get to pick what areas I'm number one in, but I get to be number one in everything. Folks, if you think that's a little much, you obviously don't read anything about the persecuted church today. Because there are persecuted Christians all over the planet that are following this verse. They're having to pick Jesus over family. Wives are leaving their husbands. Husbands are abusing their wives. Children are running away from their parents for for fear of their lives because they want to follow Jesus. And us in America, we're we're over here all families, everything, so... Uh, if God wants it, but I think God wants that, but you know, it doesn't seem to match with what I want to do with my family. Folks, you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? The persecuted church has us beat. Because we're so padded. We're so soft here in the United States. We, we, because we have, we have not uh, fundamentally reoriented our mind to say that God is everything. And like I said, by the way, if you make God everything, family will come right in in its right place and yeah. God will help in that area. If we, if we hold family even over following Jesus, we'd better know the risks. Because here's the thing. Jesus has said, you want to be used by me? He says, read the conditions. Deny yourself, say no to yourself, uh, uh, bear your cross, and follow me. And he says, now here's secondly, Christ's terms of discipleship. He says, you need to know the risks. Because you might be sitting here saying, you know, the last thing I need is another preacher coming down my throat telling me I need to do more for God. Friend, you need to know the risks of saying that. What Jesus said, look at verse number 35. He says, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. Do you know what one of the things you risk is if you say, you know what, that seems like a lot, saying uh, deny myself, taking my cross, following Jesus, letting him, I mean, just over anything, every, me and family and everything, just, that just seems like too much. You know what one that you are risking right now is wasting your life. You know, verse 35, when it says, whosoever will save his life, the word save there is a word that means to keep safe and sound from danger or destruction. Sometimes we look at that and we, we think, is this like salvation? Like whosoever will save his life? What? No, it's not talking about salvation directly here because remember, we're in a passage talking to, Jesus was talking to the crowd and the disciples more about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, being more than just a believer, but sacrificing for him and following after him. So And the word here uh, that means to save, uh, uh, whosoever will save his life, it means to try to keep safe and sound from danger and destruction. You know what a good word to use is? Is to try to preserve. God says people who spend their lives trying to preserve it, trying to keep it as comfortable and nice and, and everything going just as perfectly as possible, if that is your focus and not Jesus, God says all that life you try to preserve, you're going to lose it. Or you could say, you're going to waste it. God's not saying you're going to lose your salvation. He's saying, all that life stuff that you, you, you made more, all that just life stuff, not even necessarily sinful stuff, just life stuff that you made more important than following Jesus, and you tried to preserve it and keep it just the way you wanted, God says, you try to preserve that and save it up for yourself, God says, you're going to end up wasting it. That's what Jesus says. You're going to end up wasting it. You know, some of us 
spend so much time, energy, emotions on stuff. Life stuff. Things that are not bad. And folks, please believe me. Uh, please hear me. I am not saying that having things is bad. Ecclesiastes is very clear that if God has allowed you to have things, it, God is okay with enjoying things. I'm not saying that if you have money or if you have stuff that you are out of the will of God. I mean, that, nothing could be farther than from the truth uh, because that's not what God is saying. But some of us have taken stuff and it doesn't have to be the richest of us. It could be the poorest of us. And we try to we focus on stuff and things to the neglect of serving Jesus with our hobbies, things that aren't bad. Now, I don't know, uh, what state are we in? I'm having a mental block. Oh, my goodness. We're, we're in Tennessee, yeah. So I don't know how long your, um, uh, your hunting season goes. Now, Alabama, oh, I'll tell you what, we have a long one. It's really nice. And it's right when I'm home, too. And uh, I love to hunt. How many of you hunt? How many of you enjoy to hunt? You like to hunt? Yeah, I do. Um, and, you know, do you realize how much time money we can spend on something that is not wrong to the neglect of what's important you know i remember guys from my church one guy he's uh from my church when i was growing up he said yeah we're going to be um he, he told my dad who was a pastor he said yeah we're going to be traveling up to such and such place in wisconsin because the the hunting uh at least rifle hunting there was a pretty short time maybe about you know seven to ten days he said we're going to be going up to such and such place and uh you know going up to such and such place and uh, so we won't be here on sunday but he said but we will be in church on sunday you know my wife has told me times of uh, she said once she got all I think she even killed a deer once. She got all dressed up like wearing Sunday dress, went out into a deer stand early in the morning and was all dressed all ready for church. And I, I think that might have been a morning that she shot something. I don't remember. But I mean, like, because she, she talked about having even her perfume on and such, and a deer still walked by. And, um, and uh, you know, she, because you know what they were going to do? Was guess what? They were fitting in the fun. It's okay. But they said, guess what's most important? What God says. God says, don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And that's one example. But we allow so many hobbies to get in the way of serving God. Things that are not wrong. You know, what, what, if, we, um, what if we buy our favorite car from decades past that we're restoring, and all of a sudden, we don't seem to have the tithe money we used to. We just say, well, you know, just, uh, you know, I can skim a little bit off and now I'll have in the next couple years and then I'll be done. I can go back to doing my tithe. You really want to steal from God? They tried that in one of the minor prophets. I think it was Malachi. And uh, God, uh, God noticed and said, this is not good. You know, what about, you know, something else that just distracts so often? Does not work sometimes distract us? Well, let me be careful here because we all got to eat. We all got to provide. We have to. And sometimes, you know, providing requires, you know, will require, you know, requires some certain sacrifices. Maybe you're not able to be involved in church because you can barely make ends meet. I understand that. I'm not, that's not where I'm going. I'm talking about sometimes we take on more than we need to, and it ends up cutting away from devotions time. It ends up cutting away from church time. It ends up cutting away from you being available to serve God in your local church. 
Maybe there was a time with your job, you know, um, where you were once able to, uh, you know, you were able to be involved in, in this ministry and that, but as promotions at work came, you got more money, so you raised your standard of living, which means you had to work more. Then all of a sudden, um, as you got more hours, and then you began to work more, you could see your retirement building up even more, so you had to work maybe just a little bit more, and those things built up, and then all of a sudden, there wasn't time for soul winning or Wednesday night church. Folks, you know what happened was, we, where, where did we get discontent with what we had before? And we said, well, you know, I've got to live higher. I've got to live better. When all of a sudden, now we're neglecting the souls of other men? How about this one? I remember my, um, my parents would not allow me so, well, I didn't really get involved really in organized sports when I was in high school either. I was homeschooled uh, and such, so I didn't really have the opportunity um, to, to do it. But I remember kids would be a part of leagues in sports and would skip youth group, maybe church services for the sake of sports. Okay, um, if I could pop your bubble, USA Today says that your child uh, is actually probably not that super special and that your child has a it's, I think it's a .016% chance of making it professionally in any sport. But your child also has a 100% chance, actually, of standing before God. But we'll let, uh, but you know what is, is, is sad is then uh, we start showing kids that sports, if it's needed, it's okay sometimes to put them above what God wants. Not all the time, but sometimes. You know, what's going to happen is um, the next generation realizes a principle. It is okay sometimes to disobey God's word. It is okay sometimes to skip church. And you know, they'll run farther with that than you ever wanted. I remember a guy, youth pastor I preached for, youth rally for in, um, in Virginia. You know one thing, he had a daughter that was just phenomenal at volleyball phenomenal and uh that he was coaching a team and they were just doing incredible and uh games were starting to uh, I, I think some, with some games and practices they were going to end up missing church and you know what he said for sorry for one thing by the way this is interesting he said for one thing he said i don't want uh, he said i really don't want my daughter wearing those super hyper short shorts just can she wear uh she won't play unless she can at least wear something that's you know somewhere around the knee that's interesting. And he said, and also my daughter will not play uh, if we're doing practices and games on Sunday. He said, because we need to be in church. Or he said, here, I'll give you, I'll at least give you an option. He said, um, I will allow uh, the, my daughter to be at games if you'll at least allow on Sunday that I get a 25-minute service with the entire team where I get to preach to them. And he said, otherwise, my daughter don't play. You know what happened? His daughter got to play. They did, because you think, oh my goodness, no one's going to agree to that. You know something, I think God blessed a guy and his daughter for saying, you know what, uh, let's please God first, and we'll fit in our fun after that. And you know what, God allowed them to have, to do both. You know who that daughter is? She's, uh, she's actually the wife of a, uh, of a, of a youth pastor herself now. Because you know what she saw? She, she was taught that serving God comes above your sports. 
And you know, that's a fundamental reorientation where we've got to realize that things like, uh, like extra work and, uh, and friends and sports and hobbies, that they cannot push away our church attendance, our witnessing, our visitation, our Bible study, our devotions, our family devotions. And it's just so scary how we line up our life so that we can have all this stuff. And we're like the man in the parable who had built up his barns and then was not ready when God said, Tonight, your soul is required of thee. So he says, Watch out, or you waste your life. He says, Or, verse number, 30, um, verse number 36, he says, uh, Verse number 36, he says, What shall it profit a man? There's a good money word. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And again, uh, we're not, um, uh, you know, this passage is not specifically in context talking about salvation. Though these are great verses for a person to think on, they need to be saved. And by the way, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, it will not, what profit is it if you gained the whole world and yet died without Christ as your Savior? But I'll say this, is that Christian, he's talking to you in this passage and he says, what profit is it? If you got all kinds of stuff, gained the world, but lost a soul. A soul is something that will last for eternity. What is the profit of that? Because you know, you realize something, folks. Did you know that if you're saved, you exist for the glory of God and to complete the Great Commission? Then after that, you know, fill in what you want to do. You exist for the glory of God and for the Great Commission, which is winning the lost and helping to disciple them to know more, to know Jesus better, and then fill in life. So often we, we figure out, do we not even encourage our young people and say, what career do you want to follow? And we lay out a career and then we say, all right, now where does God fit in? Folks, we have it backwards. We have it so backwards of what that's supposed to be because god says it's not about and it's not about what we want it's about what he wants work because you know what there is um in any kind of life situation let us not add so much stuff whether it be work or hobbies sports whatever it may be let us not add those things so that we neglect what will last for eternity which is the souls of men the souls of your children and of your grandchildren are they not worth more than a promotion? Are not the souls of men worth more than a sport? Are not the souls of men worth more? If, if those things are going to keep you from the most important thing of glorifying God and completing the Great Commission, going after souls, what will last for eternity, is that really worth it? Well, Jesus says we're about to find out who's in the crowd and who's, who's just a crowd person who wants to be a disciple. So he says, you're going to have to learn to say no to some stuff. You're going to have to learn to submit to me and do what I want and follow after me instead of going after what you want. But you know, another risk, he says, is that you risk embarrassing God. Verse 38 says, Whosoever therefore will be ashamed of me and of my words, specifically these words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He says, you know, if we're ashamed of God and of his wor these words, if they embarrass us, we say, oh, I don't know if I want that. God says, I'll be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of my Father. Listen, people, I don't know all of what's involved in that, but I'd hate to be an embarrassment to God when he comes back. 
Those who care nothing for deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus says, you risk embarrassment to Christ. But here's, the fi- here's uh, uh, what he says here in verse 35. Uh, um, you know the risk, we'll know the benefits. Verse 35, he says, whosoever will save his life, try to preserve it up, will lose it. But he says, whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. In other words, he says, if you let your life be all about serving God, especially in the realm of souls and impacting lives for eternity, he says, guess what? Your life is going to count. You're going to feel like you have purpose in life because you're not just working for this little moment of time. You're working for eternity. But some of you, all that you live for, all that you have and do is just stuff for this life. That's it. He says, but he says, um, what shall profit man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And here's the final thing, the motivation uh, for this. He says, un, you know, understand the why. Verse 35, he says, whosoever shall lose his, save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake. God says, would you do this for my sake? Even if you don't like it, would you do it for my sake? Well, Jesus, here he is. He sacrificed for us. He kind of left perfection to put on a human body that has pain and gets diseases put it on to suffer for your sins and for my sins that he might redeem men and women to god and when he says would you mind following after me and you say well i've got um we got some we got sports practice i know um I, I mean, I'm really for you with that, you know, vacation Bible school pastor that you're doing. And, uh, you know, it's real important kids hear about Jesus, but I, just, I, I got stuff going on. Sure, it's just stuff. Well, you know, um, pastor, I understand, you know, visitation and, you know, telling people about Jesus that they don't die and go to hell and that they can go to heaven. But I, I do other things during the week. I was witnessing one of them. Uh, yeah, somewhere. Liar. Maybe. Are you? Uh, you know, um, you know I, I'd really like to be a part of, you know, you know, the things of how, you know, like discipling. I know we have some new Christians coming to church, and I know they need to do Bible studies. They don't know much about God, but I'm busy. So is the rest of us. Every one of us is busy. Let's be careful that we didn't get busy with things that keep us from impacting souls. He says, do this for my sake, verse 35, and the gospel's sake, for the sake of unsaved people. And he says, uh, and then he says at the end of verse 39, he also mentions, uh, talks about the coming of the Son of Man and the glory of his Father with the angels. And uh, Matthew 16 also references his coming and the glory of his Father with the angels. And at that time, Matthew 16 says, that's when he will reward. You know what Jesus says he'll do? He will reward you and pay you back for every dollar you sacrificed. He'll pay you back for every hour that you gave up, that you began, that's where you said, I don't know if I can, but I've got to be in my Bible more. I'm going to start getting up 20 minutes earlier. It's going to hurt a little bit because I'm not a morning person, but I can't miss my Bible time with God. You know what God says? I'll reward that. I won't miss it. Even if you just offered a cold cup of water in my name, God says, I won't miss that. Some of you sacrifice something a lot bigger than a cup of water. You sacrifice 20 minutes of sleep. 
because you know you need it, but you said, I want to spend time in prayer with God. God says, I will reward it. I have not missed it, and I will take care of it. And one song says, Every, uh, uh, all that thou spendest, Jesus will repay. Folks, what do we, um, what do we live for? You know, um, you know, one thing that coronavirus has done is it has definitely, I think it's definitely not, and I don't know so much about this church, because I don't know everything, but I've heard from others that coronavirus is definitely weeding out the crowd. You know, that's what Jesus was doing in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Weeding out the people who served God when it was convenient who followed him while it was easy. And if things start to get a little weird, a little tough, now I understand, I, listen, I am not criticizing someone who, uh, you know, criticizing someone who says, listen, I've got health problems, I need to stay home. I understand, I'm not talking about you, okay? I'm talking about the rest of us that just use a little convenient excuse to no longer serve God, to no longer give the gospel, to no longer do what we know we ought to do, to not no longer showing up at church when we could. Folks, um, our God is worthy, and he says, listen, I'm, I'm weeding out the crowd. There's not a lot of people that want to commit. Our, our culture today hates commitment. God loves it. Our culture today is anti-commitment, and Jesus is all about commitment. He committed to you. When you ask for salvation, he committed to you, and he's not backing out. So he says, would you mind committing to denying yourself taking up your cross and following me letting me decide everything in your life just till you die then you can have heaven you know that's um we feel like that's a big price and i guess it is a little bit of sacrifice on our part but if jesus paid for our sins we could give him back just that much folks let's um let's surrender that all that we just sang about earlier Let's surrender that all. Let's pray. Lord, help us now to be honest. I know, I know our flesh will um, probably crave what we should not have. Um, Lord, I pray. I pray, Holy Spirit, would you just make clear in each person's mind where the line is, where there is um, of, uh, you know, just pleasure that you are okay with and where that pleasure has taken away from serving God. Holy Spirit, would you just make those lines um, undeniably clear in each one of our lives and that we would say no to stuff that we want would you help us to deny ourselves and say no and submit to you and follow after you no matter what others do would you change us for your sake for the gospel's sake pray that you would do this Pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. You can look this way. I'll tell you what I'm um, what I'm going to do here is um, I'm going to allow just a little bit of time for prayer. But um, Pastor, if you don't mind, I'm just going to ask you if you would just come on up here to the front. And um, because here's why I have them. I don't always do this, but sometimes I just ask this, especially on a topic of this nature. Some of you, I'm just going to tell you straight up. Um, you, some of you, have a commitment to the Lord that either you've been backing off on or that you need to give over to God. Some of you have stuff that has crowded out a commitment to the Lord. 
And I'm just going to ask you to do this. If, you would, if you're sitting here today and you say, goodness, I, I, just, I see it. Man, I, am, I have been wasting my life. I haven't been giving myself to the, to the souls of men. Where, where can I be used? Did you know that um, your pastor probably who knows somewhat of your gifts and of your talents, and especially if you communicate what your burdens and your gifts and your talents are, you know he can find a place to use you where pe- to help see people get saved? You know he can do that. Because if, you, if you're sitting here and you say, I just don't see, I want to be used, but I just don't see where I can be used. Okay, you're on the right track. And tonight at the invitation, I want you to walk up to your pastor and just say, look, something's got to change in my life. Maybe you say, I know what it is. Uh, I know this commitment that I need to give, or I know something's got to change. I got to be used more to see people get saved. I'm willing to do that. I want him to be here so that you can at least get something started where you say, hey, pastor, pray with me. Let's talk about it later. But, um, I've got some changes that need to be made. Maybe you say, ah, man, my schedule is just cram-packed full. But you say, I, I want to serve God more. I want to be involved more in seeing people saved. Pastor, pray with me real quick, and then can we get together on, on Friday and talk about what to do with my schedule? You know what that's going to do? That's going to put you out there and really kind of commit you. We're super scared of commitment. Why are we scared of committing something to God that we know we ought to? Well, you don't have to do that. I'm just saying, some of you maybe should. So what I'm going to ask, Daniel, if you don't mind playing, um, I have decided to follow Jesus. And let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And um, pastors up here, you take, this time is for you. I will not command you to say you have to do this. But I just want to leave that option. Uh, I've seen people that have gone to their pastor. And I don't know what they talked about, but uh, they said such and such needs to change. So take this time prayer. You want to talk to pastor, you say, Before him, I just need to have some alone time with God right now. That's fine. This invitation time is for you. Talk with the Lord. Commit something to the Lord. But if you're really going to commit it, I advise you to um, mention it to your pastor so that it's not hidden away, so that that commitment maybe is sealed a little better. But you take this time to obey God.